Hey y'all, welcome to Babe Talk. My name is Ollie. What's going on? How are you? This week, I talked to my friend Jim Murtog. Jim Murtog is a singer-songwriter, alternative country artist, who put out a new album by the name of You Don't Get to Hate It Unless You Love It. This album that Jim produced would also be really good for those who used to listen to The Hotel Year or even The Hundred Acre Woods out of Philly. We get into a really awesome conversation about the different themes that are found on this album and also throughout his other music too. Life, death, friends, family, community, hometown heroes and villains. We, we get into a lot of it and it's a cool conversation. Stick around. It's coming up shortly on Babe Talk. And remember, Black Lives Matter, Protect Asian Lives, and Trans Day of Vengeance is every day. Hey y'all, what's going on? My name is Ali. Welcome to Babe Talk. Today I have here an old friend by the name of Jim Murtog, old country singer and songwriter from, is it fair to say upstate New York? Um, Westchester County. People from upstate get upset when you call Westchester upstate. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So where's the county line? I don't know what town exactly, but like Westchester's pretty big. So I'm probably the furthest south you can be in Westchester because I'm like 15 minutes outside of the city county line is i don't know 40 minutes north of me an hour north of me something like that something like that and with that, yeah, with that maps are so tricky <laughs> you know those silly maps yeah, maps are tough i don't even know why i asked like like I, I i mentally am like thinking like okay 40 miles out i have no idea where any of the fucking yeah I, I i was about to like name towns but like, that's not gonna be helpful at all like it's you know like pauling yeah if you no, oh oh Pauling. okay <laughs> but the people in pauling though losing their minds right now yeah going nuts Going I have a friend crazy. who's up in the Catskills, and even even he sometimes he's like, I'm not technically upstate. I'm like, you're, you're like two hours away from me, so I don't know where upstate starts. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But hey, how are you, friend? How's it been? I'm doing pretty well. Trying to keep busy while the world is closed. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> closed for actual business. Yeah, the world is closed for business, uh, and it's super weird, especially for like it is very weird. You know, yeah, I think it's getting better, but I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> We're hoping so, you know. Yeah. We're, we're seeing a progression. Yeah. I think that it president. would be better. It's gone, it's gone from, like, instead of, I feel like a few months ago, I was like, oh, yeah, it's getting better. And now I'm like, it will get better. Like, eventually it will. It's not right now. And I don't know that it's soon, but it def- it will. <laughs> stuff will, stuff will be, better, be better. I think that's the natural progression we have to take. Because I think it would be weird to just wake up and be like, oh, oh shit, we're better. Like, wow, damn, would you look at that? hundred percent. Yeah. And I also like, I don't hold people, I hold people responsible who are like, you know, going out and going to clubs and stuff and hosting secret warehouse parties. But as far as people just trying to like go about their lives and try to make it as normal as possible, I'm like, yeah, that's just human nature. Like we shouldn't all be running around freaking out because then nothing would be good and nothing would be getting done. Yeah. So there's like a happy medium of like, yeah, take this seriously, but also don't give in to the true dread and seriousness of this i don't know it's tough yeah it's tough because like i think one of the things that um, a lot of people have been wanted to bring back is uh, a sense of normality for sure and yeah. that's incredibly hard because all of our experiences that that we go through in life linearly nothing really is normal we're always adapting to what we have to kind of go through 
Yeah. And so like to kind of have this, this sense of like, oh no, like the safe point in life, right? Like, okay, hold on, let's, let's load that back up and like, you know, start over from there. Yeah. And I think like you should be like that every day. You should always try to be adapt and like, all right, I just got to do the best that I can in this given circumstance. But when it is something like as existential and insane as the former presidency and the pandemic and like all this stuff, like at a certain point you have to be like, okay, this is definitely worse than normal. Like still, still try to <laughs> keep going and just go to work every day, but it's definitely worse than it should be. Yeah. But, it's like it's like like during your commute, you just look out the window and there's a pterodactyl, and you're like, "Well, I still have to go to work." Exactly. Yeah. Like the store is still open. So yeah, bills are still <laughs> coming in. Like the president's not going to recognize the pterodactyl anyway. So it's like, all right, yeah, it's, fuck it. It's, it's like not there. Do it. Yeah. What what can I do about that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like I'm not I'm not the scientist. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that up to the pterodactyl. What you want me to do? I'm a graphic designer. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But you have some music, friend. Um, you have a bunch of music, but some of the latest music. Yeah, that you release to the world, you don't get to hate it unless you love it. Yeah, that was my last record in yeah. November that I put out, and it was really good. <laughs> Thanks, thank you so much. Of course, I love the um, the the press you had placed around it as well. Yeah, you know, like really trying to make a cohesive moment. Um, because I think a lot of you know what what you had bundled together, you know, kind of keeping the simplicity. In, in a lot of the and simplicity and honesty, which I think is 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 some beautiful themes to pull out um, in your music as a whole, and we'll get into that. Um, yeah. But you know, you presented it um, two colors. Here's some honesty, and here I am. Yeah, I like toyed with it a bunch because I started thinking about the record back in. Uh, I mean, I'm always thinking like as soon as I finish the thing I've been working on, like I'm gonna be like, all right, that's out now. So what's the next one? Um, but I started actively planning this one back last winter, basically a year ago. And it definitely scaled down because like at first I wanted it to be like a big like, all right, this is like my sophomore release. This is going to be like a big epic thing. And I just, I don't know, pulled stuff back more and more. And I came up with the simple album cover of the just like the red background, the little white illustration of myself. I was like, I think that's good. <laughs> it kind of gets the point across. I don't need to make it too crazy. Don't need to get too theatrical about it. Yeah, you know, it's just music, man. Yeah, I recorded the album probably like three or four times just mm. from scratch, trying to get different, trying to make it more epic or trying to like get it all more at a certain point. A friend of mine actually, who's another singer-songwriter, super talented, Lindsay Reamer, um, she really pressured me. She was like, you're, you're like putting almost way too much thought into this and you're overthinking it. Just play the songs how you play them and record them that way. And then that's the record. And I did that and she was exactly right. So that was good. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of pressure, you know, makes a diamond make. Yeah, for sure. So I would like to be able to kind of like jump into some of your, your stomping grounds, where, where you had started your career. My career, yeah. Yes. Um, I'll start it with what I think is like my first real band, uh, Temporary Heroes. And that was my band in high school. Um, and it started as just my high school had a talent show and I wanted to perform in it. This was before I was really like comfortable playing songs on my own or anything. So I kind of tricked a few of my friends who played guitar, but like barely, they were like learning. One of my friends just owned a keyboard. I was like, oh, so you can play keyboards. So you'll be in the band. And we just made a band, like basically a fake band. And it just morphed into like more of our friends joining and started taking them a little more seriously. You know, we never toured or anything like that, but played around our neighborhood and stuff and played at different high schools nearby. And then in my hometown, just like other bands started to kind of pop up with other friends of ours. So we would put on shows in like church basements and stuff like that, all joining each other's bands. You'd be like, every band was kind of like an, 
like different iteration of each other. It's like, is this Fat Francis yeah. or is that Steamship Authority? Which, who, which one is it? like? Well, Jim is singing in this one, so this one's Steamship Authority. If Tyler was singing, it would be Fat Francis. Like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, so a lot, a lot of stuff like that. And then, yeah, so that's kind of where it all started. Basically, it was like in high school, just playing around with friends and stuff, as it does. Yeah. As it does. It's awesome when you have a, a vibrant community like that to be able to really bounce off each other, you know, like you're always when you're young and, and creative, you know, being able to kind of express that um, fluidly is perfect. You know, you get to yeah, practice sure. all the time. You get craft on, on your work. A hundred percent. And just like the sense of it, it's almost it's like the closest I would come to team sports. You know, like I never really played. T- I was on a track team, but like that barely counts because it's just like my friends and I running around. <laughs> But like that sense of community was so important to get me out of my shell and show me like, no, like other people are doing this to me. Don't worry about it. I remember the first time my, my buddy, Will, who I haven't seen in a while, he lives in Boston now, but he reached out to me when we were in high school because I put up a cover of a old Springsteen song or something. And he was like, I didn't know that you also liked weird old kind of like creepy. It was something from Nebraska, which is Springsteen's like darker folkier album he's like i didn't know you liked that stuff because i also really like that stuff and he and i started playing together doing like merle haggard covers and stuff like that more like folk based stuff and then that yeah it's just like finding another person that's like yeah i also like this stuff that no one else really talks about so yeah and in the yesteryears you know we didn't really have the internet to be able to source band members like that you know or be able to like really call out to arms for yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I look at my younger cousin now and like the comfort that he has with just putting out his own material because he sees other people his age across the world doing that. It's weird because, you know, we had Facebook and stuff. We had social media when we were in high school, but it was not the same that it is now by any stretch. It was pretty much just like checking in with the people you already knew mm-hmm. and all that. I, I agree. So as you were, you know, starting to form your connections in order to make your true authentic sound kind of boisterous, be able to um, add more layers to it by, by cooperating with, um, with new folk. How did you kind of end up getting, um, I don't want to say like more serious, but I guess um, more conceptual and beginning to kind of make it into a, um, your projects that you would kind of go on to make? Yeah, I guess I just started to pay attention to uh, like albums more and like the idea of a cohesive album and just looked at bigger projects and how things intertwined. It was, it's, you know, looking back, it was like really overwhelming because like was in all these bands in high school and then got to college, was still playing music, but then also started to like dabble in comedy. And that became like a focus for a bit. I think, you know, through like the first couple of years of high school, I just knew that I was like, I want to do just anything creative that I can. I just loved performance and I loved making stuff. So just whatever avenue presented itself is what I did. So, you know, at first some teachers started to notice I was good at drawing. So they would let me draw stuff like make posters for things or tell me like oh you should take the art classes and then they noticed that I was good at music so I started doing music stuff and then when I got to college I tried stand up at like an open mic and there was a stand-up club and one of the guys came up to me he was like oh you do stand-up we do a club for that so you should do that it was a long time of just trying out as much stuff as I could and seeing where those like worlds met where they were separate and it's like super exhausting I'd like to think that I was always taking it seriously but it takes a long time to figure out like your your lane, you know. Yeah, and you have several. I mean, like you, you yeah. still actively keep up with your your comedy, your drawing, sure. your illustrations. Yeah, I almost like look back. To, I, I found a, like a lot of inspiration, especially in like college, looking back to uh, older 
performers and stuff. Because you know, I feel like back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, it was much more common to just be a performer. You know, like, oh, they're a singer, but they dance and they act and they tell jokes and they do, you know, and that slowly started to become less and less of a thing. It started to be like, well, that person's a singer. Like they might be in a movie now and then, but they're a singer. And this person's a, this person is a comedian. Like variety um, entertainers. Yeah, exactly. The lines, the lines started to be much more. And I don't know, I'm sure that there's like a cultural historical reason for that, but I don't know what it is. But so that was tougher being my age and being interested in all of those avenues, but seeing that like, even not being directly told, just kind of inferring, like, it seems like I'm supposed to pick one to focus on and take seriously. And they all, they all have different vibes and they all have different like criteria. So, yeah. Yeah. It's really just a solid, smooth exploration. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, I think this would be a really cool place to be able to, to take a pause because I think we'll start to get into more of your um, later projects, some of your, your newer thoughts, ideas, and uh, kind of some inspiration as to, you know, what, what brought Jim to the mic. Sounds good. Cool. All right. All right. Welcome back to the show, Jim. So wanted to get into to more of the newest project that you have. Um, you don't get to hate it unless you love it. And listening to it the first couple times, I like the honesty that that was inside of, of the album, like all together, because I think it, it was like a little painful to kind of listen to um, <laughs> on, on the first go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm glad that you said that because I kind of like, not that I was intending that. I don't intend for people to feel uncomfortable listening to my stuff. <laughs> but like, I was kind of hoping no no one else really said that. Like, no friends were really like, this was, oh, I had one friend that was like, he listened to the first two songs. He was like, I was on my way to work and I started listening and that's not, he's like, I'm going to wait till I get home and like sit. Because <laughs> yeah. people who don't really know me personally, I don't know what they get out of it. Like how... I always think, you know, I always think back to, um, I had a band practice once a couple of years ago. We were playing some of these songs and showed the guys one of them. And it was two friends of mine who I've been playing with since I was like 15 who were in the band. And we thought I finished the song. One of them was like, I don't know if I just know you really well or if your lyrics are just super obvious. And, one, and my other friend was like, it's both. <laughs> like you do, you get it, but he's also like really laying it on thick. Yeah. I don't know. That's just kind of my, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess like you're always looking for what you have to offer. And I've decided that that's what I have to offer is my comfort with talking about things as specifically and as honestly as I can. I just try to do that as much as possible. So with that, you know, I, I, th I think it does take a real skill to be able to convey um, specific emotion, hard, you know, narrative, but also, you know, like you create a ton of vivid analogies as well yeah. to be able to to really make it relatable for for the listener and i was curious as to um who some of your favorite storytellers were yeah i think to me like springsteen is number one he always has been i've been listening to him since for as long as i can remember he was always on in the house when i was growing up you know when i was a kid it was always just like oh this music is super fun and i enjoy it and then as i started to get more into songwriting and lyricism and storytelling started to really realize like oh my god like this <laughs> this guy like creates worlds and he really looks into people's souls and what makes people angry and what makes people upset so i'd say springsteen's number one and then from there like with more recent influences i'd say like mountain goats are a big one the hold steady craig finn um there's a band from brooklyn uh the gaslight anthem 
from New Jersey, Front Bottoms. There's a singer, Courtney Marie Andrews, who I love a lot. Yeah, just people who are like, I, I really like simple lyrics and I really like honesty. You know, if you don't need to dress it up, then don't just say what you're trying to say. So I like people who do that. You know, there's there's imagery and there's symbolism and there's all those other fancy literary devices in my lyrics. But I try to like avoid that as much as I can. If I want to sing about blood, I'm going to sing about blood, <laughs> you know, True. like that kind of thing. So I try, I try not to hide it or make, um, I want people to think, but I want them to, uh, I want to tell them like what it is. I don't want to be interpret it, but I'm not going to lie to you. Try to make you, uh, I'm not going to give you a riddle. I'm just going to tell you what I had to say, and then you can make what you want out of it. And I think that's, that's a good part of the journey for, for, for this album. Um, because like after I was, you know, kind of, I, I thought about it. I was like, well, what exactly is it that like, you know, kind of brings me the pain? And very funny that that you do say, is it you or is it the lyrics? Um, like we're we're acquaintances, we're friends, you know, we pal yeah, yeah. it up. But also, you know, thinking about it from an objective perspective of it's a song being placed out by another individual, you know, like what's invoking the emotion for me? And it does like make me think. Um, and it does just kind of pull back to certain scenarios. You know, growth is a, is a very big place subject in a lot of the music that you have. But less of, of growth and more just like straight up honesty. Like I, I was also listening to some of your older music that you have placed out um, earlier back in 2019 with yeah. I Feel God in This Chili's Tonight. And um, Boy in a Bedsheet is, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's incredible. Like it really <laughs> does, you know, like all of the descriptions that were there. You know, I was listening to the album first and then I listened to Boy in a Bedsheet and I was like, oh, fuck, like that's embedded, yeah. right? Like that's hard. Yeah, it's funny that you said that because I actually think that that's phrase like it's probably my most fucked up song. It's the one I've always strived to be honest and open with my lyrics, but I think that one more than any I had put out to date when that record came out, that was the one I was most scared of. Like Jesus Christ, like can I? I don't know. Like I, I just really tried to say what I was going through and like what <laughs> I was like. That was such a hard time in my life, and I was freaking out all the time. I've never played that one live. It's just hard to. Um, I don't know if it would be like too intense. It's also just the environments I play in. Like I play in like small coffee houses or little clubs and bars. And that one's so intense. I'd be like, ah, you guys are like, my friends came out to see me on like a Friday night. I'm not going to play <laughs> this like super intense. It's song. interesting. You know, I, it kind of has me think back to um, when I, I remember in back in my old scene, uh, we yeah. had um, the lead singer of Thursday um, come and play and it was really cool and he ended the set with um atlantic city a yeah. cover of atlantic city and it was the most haunting and like the most deeply emotional covers i've like ever heard in my life it was yeah. so good jeff rickley yeah just fucking bonkers um yeah. but i mean also you are correct this the, the music that that you do produce is still an extension of yourself and you know yeah. that's it's vulnerability at its peak for sure yeah. I, I mean, I also think Boy in a Bedsheet is probably, I almost think it was like the first song I wrote where I was admittedly the enemy or like was trying to admit some of my, that was what the whole point of that song was, you know, like the whole opening thing about like I sit next to my lawyer while the judge lays his motion to rest. Like that was an actual nightmare I was having all the time. It was like my biggest fear in the world is not being murdered. It's being put on trial for some horrible crime and becoming guilty in the eye of public opinion. It's just so scary to me, you know, people's mm -hmm. perception of me and being put in the spotlight like that and being being hated, being ridiculed, being, I don't know, seen in any sort of darkness or negative light was such a big fear for me and such a big fear to the point where even my 
honest writing wasn't honest enough because I was still making myself out as the victim in all of these narratives. And the boy in a bedsheet was kind of like not quite admitting myself as the villain, but admitting that I think that I might be wrong sometimes. I think I'm, I'm going to get back to that later, but I'm just going to put it out now that like, <laughs> I think I might've fucked up a little bit now and then. Yeah. I don't know. Healthy. <laughs> yeah. Like therapy too, which like, Hey, psh. yeah. Yeah. Gotta keep Therapy's a good thing. Therapy I, I is a good thing. Yeah. So let's go into more, you know, other themes that are found throughout your, your music. Something that I really thoroughly enjoyed coming to realize is that your use of natural textures within mm-hmm. a lot of your music um, just really makes it so much more comforting uh-huh. in a way, very inviting, welcoming. That's not a decision that a lot of artists cling on to for yeah. a while. And you seem to kind of like introducing that a ton in your music. Yeah. I like the human element. I like background noise. I like, you know, anything like that. Um, I think it's part of, it's something that like started as just what was available to me. I was recording these songs, living in my parents' house with my dog, who's freaking out all the time. So like, you can hear my dog barking on the record a bunch. And it is certainly an artistic decision to a certain degree, but it's also just a realistic one. That's the environment that I'm in. And I think that that, even when it's unintentional, does lend itself to like, putting the message out there. What is the vibe of this? What is this person trying to articulate? And it is, I don't know, it's like very, I, I like things seeming homemade. As I said, like I just, I like the human element. In movies, I like when I can tell that the camera is handheld. I like when it's clearly like, oh, they were there filming this. This isn't like in a place. Natural. Yeah. I don't know. A messed up line in a painting, stuff like that. I don't know. I, I've never been big on perfection. As much as I can be a perfectionist, I try to just accept the humanity of my art. And on top of that, you also like sharing it too. Like this was a solo project that you had placed out, but you know, over the course of the recording, you've actually, you know, wrote in some friends. Um, this is around yeah. the, the country you're also recording in. Like, like what's yeah. the process there? that's just from a desire like it was part of just missing playing with my band and playing shows with friends um so trying to like capture that in the only way that we can right now but also just stuff that's beyond my ability my friend uh troy cruz who's another great singer songwriter you know i've been friends since we were like 15 played in a bunch of bands together and he's just an incredible musician and can just straight up play shit that i can't play and it's like the record will be better with him on it and he will add stuff that will elevate it and just make it in some ways more palatable for people. It's ability, but it's also just uh, wanting to work with friends. It's so much fun to work with people and create stuff with people. And my friend Lindsay Reamer sang on the record. My friend Megan Johnson sang on the record. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I like collaboration. And I also think that the record was kind of a, uh, while it's very solitary and it's very, uh, it's very much about like the inner machinations of my mind, it also is about how much the people around me like lift me up and keep me going and just like push me along. So I kind of wanted other people involved as well in that regard to help represent that as much as I could. Yeah. And speaking of the influence that others have around you, you also have several dedication songs, I think. Yeah. In this album as well. That also were beautiful. Like Bob's song is is like ugh. when you go into the not the ugh, God, listen to me, hardcore. <laughs> The breakdown, breakdown, um, the the music break into the instrumental break into the track. Oh, beautiful! That's something that you inculcate a lot in your songs. Yeah, yeah. Bob's song especially was like. So Bob was my sister-in-law's dad, which is not typically a very close relationship you have with. Oh, it's my sister-in-law's dad. We're super close. You know, that's not like a typically a close relationship. But 
he lived nearby and we would see him a lot. And, you know, we would never have deep conversations, but he and I would talk at family events and things. And he passed away this past summer. So I actually wrote that song not long. I wrote it and it came out not long after he had died. He'd only been gone a few months. And I think that song is important to me because I wanted to explore like the importance of relationships that aren't typically at the forefront. I have several songs about my best friend passing away or my grandma or, you know, whoever else, but it's like my sister-in-law's dad. It's like, I really loved that guy. And he meant a lot to me. And I saw a lot of myself in him in some ways. And I saw a lot of his flaws and the things that made him scared. And he was a very fragile person to me, but also very powerful and very, I don't know, he was just important. He was a great figure. So I think admitting I don't know. It's what we always say. Like, you don't know what you had until it's gone. And I wish when he was around that I was more open with him. Like, hey, Bob, I love you a lot. And you're like really a cool guy to be around. I'm glad you're part of the family. But, you know, you can't look back too negatively in those ways. Yeah. And I guess on a more personal note for myself, I'm not a uh, individual that has um, the strongest ability to hold emotion. And death as a concept is just something that I, I very, very graciously haven't been exposed to it in, in a monumental way just yet. But for yourself, you're, you're very open about um, you speaking about people that you have lost in the past. And I think that you would probably have a very gathered perception of what death is and how death affects others around them. And not that it's something that you control, but you know. Yeah. To me, it's incredibly regular. It's a very plain thing. Um, it happens all the time. So I understand it, but almost get frustrated by art that look, obviously death is monumental. It's very finite, but it's also, it happens every single day to so, so many, to, to like to everybody, everybody experiences it in some capacity. So it's as plain as water, you know, it's, it's always around. And I kind of like to approach it from that angle and not in a way, when I say that to people in conversation, when people ask me about death or funerals, whatever, you know, all that fun stuff, I worry that I sound dismissive when I say that, well, death is constant. I don't mean it in a way that's, it's not horrifying to lose someone. I just mean it in a way that's like, you have to just recognize it for what it is and that it, this is going to happen. It's a thing that's always happening and just talk about it as if it's regular, you know? I try not to push. It's like, how could this? But where? Did, but what did even? How did this happen? It's like it happened because it happens, and it happens all the time, um, in worse ways than others, and sometimes sooner than you would have liked. But it always happens. So it's just another one of those things that, like, I don't know that that's a very original viewpoint, but it's my viewpoint, and so I try to put it out there as much as possible because it's not, not a viewpoint that I see uh, articulated very often. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it's also done beautifully in, in your executions. Thank you. Um, Thank yeah, you. of course. No problem, man. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So 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 going on maybe more of a of a light lighter note. Um yeah. <laughs> as much as there is. But there's also another element of, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia and, and a lot of a lot of love for your hometown, you know, like or wherever you also kind of plan your hometown to be. Not in like like you know, yeah. wherever my, my headlines, this is my home but you know you do speak very much around like you know the environment and those that kind of surround that home um aesthetic for you yeah i think i mean identity is a big theme in a lot of my writing i struggle a lot with where people seek out identity for me i just think that the most basic way to find it is where you're from the physical place where you're from and that environment uh, the way it shaped you like emotionally and the experiences you had there. So yeah, I try to talk about that a lot and try to explore it in a way to uh, tell stories, but also in a way for me to make sense of it myself. 
and be like, well, how did these, and I mean, that's kind of like the whole thing with the title of the album. You don't get to hate it unless you love it. I hate so, so many things about my hometown and it's my favorite place in the world. So <laughs> it's the title of the album. It's the theme of the whole album, but that's just where it kind of uh, manifests itself is in that sort of approach to where you're from. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's what shapes us. Yeah. yeah. Identity is everything to people. You know, I grew up in like an Irish Catholic household. We were big on St. Patrick's day and all that. I gave into that a little bit in like high school and college, got really into St. Patrick's day and like Irish heritage. And then at a certain point I was like, yeah, but I'm not, I've never been to Ireland. Like I'm not really Irish. I, I'm from Westchester, New York, it's, which is a pretty ordinary place. I, I'm like, why should I be any more proud to have Irish ancestry than I am to be from Yonkers, New York? The only reason it's more beautiful is because it's different. It's because it's unknown, because I haven't been there and I don't know it. You know, if I went over to Ireland and I met some of my distant cousins, they would probably be like, oh my God, you're in New York City? That's amazing. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's where I'm from. So yeah, that like sense of identity is really important to me. Like I'd rather find it in what I actually am than what I could piece together as being where I'm from. Like, oh, you know, I'm Irish. It's like, well, you're not, I mean, kind of, <laughs> like not really. Yeah. Identity is very interesting. I think that happens to a lot of religious households too. When you have a very specific thing like Irish Catholic or mm -hmm. um, I was raised Jehovah's Witnesses. I was right. raised one of Jehovah's Witnesses. So like that comes first. Right. And like the secondary thing that, that comes after that is like, well, okay, specifically with the witnesses, they don't really hold race into consideration of the person because, you know, we're all God's children. But yeah, you know, when, when we had the fallout of religion after that, it's like, okay, well, like, you know, what do I lean upon? And you kind of don't have an identity. And I experienced that myself. So I definitely have understood how and why one would want to be able to exude that, want to be able to have that, that pride one, once you're able to kind of hold on to that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a Catholic household. My parents, I think they technically still call themselves Catholic. They don't go to Catholic mass or anything. And they have incredibly liberal views that's been <laughs> against the Catholic church. Um, and we all have all of the main problems that most people have with the Catholic church. But I remember when I went to a Catholic high school and I was on uh, the campus ministry board, which was like a student, you know, religious club sort of thing. It like run the retreats and things like that. And in my junior year, I was asked to leave because a moderator for it found out that I wasn't going to church and was questioning a lot of tenants of the Catholic church. He was like, so where's Catholic club? You probably shouldn't be in it. And I left. And I don't know that that was like a real genesis of like, all right, well then what is, I can't be in this club. If I'm going to question it, then why, why would anyone be in any group? The whole point of being in a group is to try to shape it and question it. And to me, it's like, yeah, I, I agree with the basis of this, but <laughs> there's some other stuff going on that we should talk about. So it's like that big ass thing in the corner. Does no one see it? We should address yeah. it. No. Oh, okay. What frustrated me too, is I wasn't asking anything that was that profound. You know, it'd be like, okay, so our club is all about raising money for the soup kitchen on Fordham Road. Why do we have like Vineyard Vines neckties in the bookstore? Why does the moderator for this club drive a Lexus? And it would be these, and you know, like, I, I don't know, maybe that's the same argument as like, oh, you're socialist, but you have an iPhone. It's like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> like, it's, it's like pretty slow. Like, yeah, that's not really how anything works. But if you're young, you know, you get to question it. It starts the gears. I'm 16. It's a plain question to ask. Like, oh, wait, the priest has a Cadillac. That seems incorrect. Um, things aren't as black and white as that. But it's OK to ask that question. And so when I was told, like, oh, if you're asking that stuff, you can't be in the club. Like, why would I ever like that? If you want to find a way to alienate me faster, you couldn't. 
Like, God, if you're going to question us, then you should just get out of here. It's like, what are you talking about? Fuck the child. Just, just yeah. throw him out. Yeah. It's so crazy. But yeah, I was uh, honestly like, not in the same sense, but I remember just shit happened. I turned 19 and then I was uh, kicked out of the religion as well. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. What do we do? You know, fuck that child. They're good. So, yeah. yeah. And that's why, like, I mean, religion is still like a big part of my life. I don't even know concretely what I would say I believe, but I think about it all the time. But it's also become a very private thing to me. Not private in the way of I'm I'm happy to talk about it, but private in the way of like, I don't seek community through religion. I don't feel comfortable in any sort of religious community in any church or in any, because it's, it's, it's too personal a uh, thing to rally a group behind in my eyes. So... And it, you look, obviously it works for some people, but it just, for me, it's like, no, I'd rather just explore this myself and have conversations, but not have to shape my views based on the doctrines that have been decided on by a certain group. Yeah, that makes sense. You make it, per- make it personal and make it your own, you know, yeah. and you follow your ideals. Yeah, exactly. So you also mentioned earlier um, that you were kind of still writing some new work, you know, just always kind of, kind of working yeah. on pro- projects as well. Yeah, yeah. Anything um, fun cooking up right now? Yeah, I try to take, as I was like talking about at the beginning, I do do like a bunch of different types of art. Because even on the record, there's humor in that record. There's like jokes in the songs and things. But usually when I finish one project, I move on to one that's more specifically in a different lane. So like right now I'm working on a screenplay for uh, my cousin, Colin, who is an artist. Uh, really, he's like super talented as well. But he and I have wanted to make a movie together for a while, just like, which sounds like, you know, it's like, yeah, we're going to make a movie. Like, it's an insane thing to set out to do, but we're kind of treating it as like, this would be super fun to do, especially when nothing else is going on. Mm-hmm. So I started to write it just to be like, all right, well, what is available to us? What's a story that we could possibly tell? And uh, trying to write something like that. So that's that's the thing right now. Let's see where that goes. Yeah, the first step is starting up to do the damn thing. Yeah, I mean, I always remember there was uh, Mark Duplass, the like the actor, writer, director. He, like, if you remember a few years ago, watching an interview with him, where they were like, when you're like an indie filmmaker, like, what's a good jump off for your story? And he was like, just look around at what you have. He was like, you know, my first movie, I was like, all right, I have my brother, I have my girlfriend, and we have a van. What can we do? And he was like, I can make a road trip movie about a van. And then the, he wrote the, his, movie, his first movie, The Puffy Chair. Um, and I think that, and that's kind of like the similar jump off to what I was trying to do and what the thing Colin and I are working on. Where it's like, all right, Colin's around, his brother Andrew's around. I have a car now. We can figure something out. <laughs> I can just start to write it. Like, what's an idea for a scene? Like, oh, well, I have a bike. Maybe there's a scene with a bike. <laughs> I'll write that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And like, you're not, you know, unfamiliar to story cadence yeah you've done comedy for like a while now so yeah i've done comedy for a while i I took screenwriting classes in college and stuff and um i was in a club in college called i went to fordham i was in a club called fordham experimental theater and it was we had a a stand-up group an improv comedy group a sketch comedy group and then we would put on four plays a year and very often those plays would be student written so i wrote a couple plays a couple musicals that we put on in college which was super fun and that that was another good way to like kind of get stuff out there and be like, okay, am I good at art? <laughs> Let me see what people think of this. Absolutely. You got to keep, keep on making. Yeah. Yeah. Keep on, keep on doing the things. Yeah. 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 You know, you know, just casually yeah. run a screen screen with here, casually dropping an album here. I know. I like, oh, God, I, dude, that's a, I think I talk about in therapy all the time is like wanting to talk about my art. Cause it's the thing I'm doing, but also a huge fear of sounding like I never want to sound like, 
It's like, yeah, I finished my album. So I started working on a screenplay. Screenplay is inspired by a poem that I was working on. Shut up, idiot. (laughs) Like, no, this is just, it's literally just what I do for fun. And when I finish it, I'm like, I'm proud of this. Maybe I'll see what people think of this. But it's just how I spend time. I mean, I just enjoy doing it. It's really nothing more than that. Yeah. And you happen to be good at it because you practice. You were in the the, the the privileged position to be able to do all of that. I mean, if, if oh, you're I, able to have it, execute on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I've been very, very lucky um, that I've had the avenues that I've had and known the people I've known. Yeah. All these friends, all these people, all, all, these, all, pals. all, all these pals. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jim, um, off of the album, would you say that there's a specific track for people to check out? Um, I do personally love Bob's song. Um, yeah, it's beautifully written. I, I love the instrumental break in there. First half of the album is also just very hard, but also once you kind of break your way through, it does end up being fun. Yeah, I think it's super fun. <laughs> like I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's it obviously covers heavy stuff and it, it it doesn't pull punches, but there are like some fun songs. And uh, I try to find humor in. I mean, I I never want to say that I have a favorite song on the record because that doesn't seem. I don't think a, <laughs> the songwriters be like, all right, I put out a new album. This one's the best one. But the one that I like, the one that makes me like laugh the most is "Thank You, Ed." There's a song called Thank You, Ed, on the album. And uh, when I wrote it, had no intention of putting it into the world. Just wrote it as like, it's a very straightforward true story about my friend Ed carrying me home uh, the last night that I was drinking. And uh, that's all it is. Just like, hey, thanks for taking me home. And uh, I'm going to try to figure out what the hell is going on with me. Um, But it's like kind of a fun song. It's certainly sad, but I think it's kind of funny. And there's like, I do goofy voices on it for like gang vocals and stuff. I showed it to my mom when I finished it and she was like, it sounds like the Muppets. It's like the Muppets singing a John Pride song. I'm like, that's exactly. That's yeah, I'm like, I'm like, that's right up your alley. Like, there we go. Yeah. It's good. Um, I'm very happy that you were able to sit down and speak yeah. with me about the music. Um, about you. you. Be able to get some real nuggets into Jim's mind. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find uh, your work? Um, I know you have a website. Yeah, I have a website, Um, All my music is on all the main streaming things like spotify and apple and uh if you are in france it's on deezer that's apparently the french streaming service so i'm on really? deezer and then i'm on instagram at jim patrick Murta, and i'm on the twitter and i'm on the i think i'm on tiktok my tiktok <laughs> my tiktok yes you hot. are on tiktok, I, TikTok <laughs> popping off <laughs> it is it is i think there was i forget which tiktok it was but i was scrolled by it I think it was, I forget which one it was, but I think it was you silent for the last 20 seconds of it. And I was like, this is the one I think. Yeah. I think, I think Jim gets it now. <laughs> I think uh, all of my TikToks have been one draft. Like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's like barely. It works. It's perfect. Yeah. Like, I think I know what the joke is. I'll just do the thing and then I'll see what the teens think. <laughs> see if the teens like. test. Yeah. What, is, what, what do all the yeah. Zoomers think of my think of my humor? Well, hey, you know, well, we, they, yeah, they, they have all the handles to be able to harass you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come scream at me on the internet. There we go. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing you, Jim. I appreciate yeah. you. I'm happy that we were able to speak. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone out there, be good to you because you're the only one you got there. And um, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Babe Talk was recorded on stolen Lenape land.
If you'd like to know more about the land you reside on, go to native-land.ca. Babe Talk is hosted by Oliver Plyle, edited by Kathleen Enriquez. Music and theme song written and produced by Cheem. This show wouldn't have been anything without Sammy and Ray. Thank you, ladies. Black and proud and queer as fuck. Trans lives matter. See you later. Bye.